Hi Triber, we're back for the next season. Smart Girl Tribe has grown to become the UK's number one female empowerment organisation. We have an event series, a digital magazine, a membership platform and this podcast. What can you expect from us? Interviews from women all over the world who are driving change and pushing the needle forward. From actors to activists to CEOs and conflict photographers to the brains behind some of the world's largest corporations. When you're not tuned in every Wednesday at 6pm, then make sure you're chatting to fellow unapologetically ambitious women in our private Facebook group, the Smart Girl Tribe Society, or sharing our ever so inspirational content on Instagram at Smart Girl Tribe. A couple of weeks ago, you may remember, I opened up about the importance of exploring your inner child and how I am doing exactly that. The more I dived into the subject, the more I realised how crucial it is to your personal growth. Because I share pretty much everything with you, I knew that this would really help you too. So I called in an expert, Tracy Callahan, an inner child specialist. She is a full-time therapist with her own practice. And in this episode, we of course get into what exploring your inner child means, how to tap into the mind of your inner child, emotional triggers that might be cropping up that you don't know about, and the importance of healing as a woman. This is a very powerful episode and I know it is going to change your healing journey as it has done mine already. Hi Tracy, thank you so much for coming on to the Smart Gold Tribe podcast today. It's great to have you here. Could you just explain your story to our audience please? Yeah, well I started off, um, I was a nursery nurse at one point and I was attacked Um, unfortunately and so it was no longer possible for me to be a nursery nurse and I decided to go to the local college and just ask what they thought I could study and they suggested either teaching or counselling and I kind of thought "Mm, I'd go for counselling because I'll be really good at telling people what to do Um, but that wasn't what counselling was about at all it was about listening and and so I I went on the counselling journey I mean I really did feel in the beginning that it wasn't for me and in actual fact, I was in the first class and the tutor, oh God, he was really hard work. And I thought to myself, I just can't work with this guy. And then I realised actually it wasn't him that was the twat. It was actually me and I was being hard work. So I really had to think about the way I was behaving and what was going on for me. And it just started off and I thought, God, I've never worked with clients. This is not something I'm going to do. I'll just do this for myself because you know, I can really do with some therapy, especially after being attacked and everything that had gone on before that. And... So I went on this counselling journey and I started seeing clients because that's part of the progression of a counselling course. You see, you have to do an 100 client hours. And I started off working in bereavement. So my first thing was working with bereaved adults. And I thought, it's going to be terribly sad. It wasn't something I really wanted to do, but actually, in fact, it was fantastic. Um, and then I had the opportunity to learn to work with children that were bereaved from the age of two. And my first child that I worked with I actually pulled out my puppet because I did training in puppet counselling. And when I got it out, she said to me, Tracy, you're really crap at that, aren't you, with the puppet? <laughs> and so I sort of, you know, like children are like out the mouths of babes. So I put the puppet away. I said, would you rather I put the puppet away? And we just talked. But in that, you know, I learned that, you know, the child was right. It was really interesting. It was amazing to work with children. And then I went on from there to work in addiction and then I really found my home so I started off um, working in a rehab and a crisis intervention centre and then I went on to clinically supervise at two of London's male prisons um, 
and I worked, I was, I was a psychological lead for a, a team that went into work with mothers addicted to drugs in Hackney, which was a massive privilege. Um, and I became part of a team in Hackney and then eventually I got my own service. So I was actually funded by Hackney Council and I worked with gang members um, and basically anyone who had an addiction in Hackney came through the council in service. So that was just, I had fantastic opportunities and things just grew. And now I have a private practice and I really kind of specialise probably more in relationships, um, inner child therapy and trauma. Let's dive straight in then. I have started my personal development journey again and I have been looking into all sorts of elements to do with that. I was researching meditations and came across an inner child meditation, which made me realize how important this work is and how much I wish everyone else knew about it. So could you just explain why, as adults maybe, Tracy, we do have to look back and reanalyze our previous experiences? Well, as I said, you know, children who are truly loved and unconsciously know they're valued, value themselves. And if that's not been the case, there's a chance of low self-esteem, internal loneliness and pain. I also feel that if you, know, if you go for an interview and you get taken over by a, a five-year-old child that's feeling anxious or, 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 or not able to deal with the situation and they go into the interview, you've got no chance of getting the job because I think that you know, the job's probably expecting an adult to turn up and they've got a child. Or you're in a relationship and someone, you know, the partner says something to you and you regress back to being seven. And the partner doesn't know why that's happening. And you don't know, you don't know why it's happened. You don't even know it's happened. So I suppose to get all these parts on board, it's kind of like having a team. If you've got a team of people, hopefully what you try to do is work together and communicate. But if you've got rogue members of the team going and doing all kinds of other things, it's going to make it really difficult to progress within the team and for the team to move forward. So basically, getting in touch with these inner children is about developing your own internal team. And I really want to break this episode into two parts. The first, I really want to focus on those who have maybe had a traumatic upbringing. What would you say to anyone who did? Either they were depressed or went through abuse, foster care. Is therapy really the only way to overcome those experiences? Well, you know, I think it helps. I don't think it can do any harm, to be perfectly honest. And I think that what often happens is that, you know, we get snipped and pruned along the way. So if you imagine you get told, you know, don't do this or do this or don't do that, and, and we're getting snipped and pruned. So my fault is that we're sort of like we're born to be like little seeds of trees and, you know, trees grow in all different directions. And we don't say, oh, that's a fact or that's a weird tree. We just allow the tree to grow. But often we prune children. I mean, you know, there's ways that people, you know, probably need to prune children a small bit. But you know, we can be pruned to such an extent that we end up like little bonsais. So people come into therapy quite often and they're really beautiful, but they just don't feel like they're where they should be. And their branches haven't really stretched out. So they're really limited in where they're at. And let's face it, the nature of childhood when we're, you know, we're vulnerable, aren't we? We're developing and we're trying to learn how to be in the adult world and we're open to harm. Then for those who, like myself, who have had a wonderful childhood, is it still important for us to look back and consider our inner child when nothing too dramatic ever happened? Well, yeah, 
I think that quite often, even though we've had a really good childhood, what can often happen is things happen along the way. I mean, we're children, we're vulnerable. I think stuff happens and we get stuck. Um, we either get stuck or we, or we relate to the way our parents did things that may well, you know, it may well not have worked for them, you know. So I think that by going back and by analysing ourselves and understanding what it is that's left us with negative feelings about ourselves. So it may be that we've had a great childhood, but I don't know, we was in the playground, someone called us fat at some point. So we've got this real thing about being overweight. And it may be that you kind of say, well, I had a great child. I don't know why I've got this feeling. I don't know why this is happening. But it may be just back to something being said. So I can't see how we can ever go for a childhood and it be okay all the time. Completely. So how then can we heal our inner child outside of therapy? Well, there's all kinds of ways. So you could... Um, there's a really really good experiment that you could do yourself you get your non-dominant hand so that's the hand that you don't write with and you might write a question from the child so it might be something like why why do I feel like this and then you get the pen in the dominant hand and then you what you do is you get it to write to the child you could also do this in another way you could get the dominant non-dominant hand to draw a picture of themselves as a child and write observations with the right hand it all sounds really confusing, I know. But it's a way of setting up a dialogue between the child and yourself. So it's a way of getting in touch with what's happening. When I did carry out this inner child meditation, it was wonderful. It was 10 minutes long and I have shared it across my platform to encourage others to do it as well. But I found it really challenging. I found it very difficult to connect to my inner child. And what I had to do during this meditation was lie down and picture my childhood home, see my younger self, and then hold her hand throughout the house to see what feelings came up. And I found it really difficult, Tracy. Is that normal? Yeah, I, you know, people are really surprised at how upsetting it is to do this kind of work. I mean, rarely, you know, I used to train this in college. I was, I was a tutor. And the inner child day, most people were crying, including myself when I was a tutor. And, um, you know, it's, it's really hard going. You know, you know quite often I get people to do guided imagery kind of similar to what you're saying um, and what you would do is you would shut your eyes and try to introduce the child part into the room and there's all different child parts stuck at all different times so it may be I don't know the child that doesn't feel good enough you introduce into the room and just speak to that child start to be friends with that child befriend that child I always say to people say sorry for not being there for that child I think that you know, we often don't realise that there's parts of us that are working in very different ways to the ways that we want to be working in. So we've got a team that are working in different directions and not together. And we have focused a little bit on those who have gone through something traumatic or maybe hard, tough, challenging family dynamics does anything else have an influence on our childhood upbringing Tracy to the same extent for example does the media play a role in our upbringing you know I know as young girls we have fairy tales and Disney films where the prince if you like the guy tends to save us does our schooling have an effect 
Oh God, yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, it sets, doesn't it set us up for the stress and pressure that we need to have a romantic relationship to be fulfilled in life. And only when we've got that and we're going to be with them for the rest of our lives will we all be all right. You know, I'm so females can save themselves and, and I'm all up for helping them to do that. <laughs> um, I think that you know, it sets us um, goals that we might not necessarily achieve and then leaves us feeling bad about ourselves. And it doesn't validate being professional, you know, being, you know, doing well in professionally, financially or socially. All those things get ignored. Mm. And would you say it's important to understand our parents' childhoods as well as understanding our own? well yeah because i think that we can kind of understand where we come from and it's been found that trauma does go through the dna and i think to understand where we come from and understand why they're behaving in the way they're behaving um and you know i mean nowadays you know children have got lots of social media i mean that wasn't around years ago so how can parents instruct children about something that really they know no personal experience of thing and you know to understand where they're coming from is really useful it, um, it helps us to understand where we are in life and where we're going and maybe frees us up from some of the ideas that they've got stuck with are there any threads or themes that you see that are very common when it comes to the inner child for instance tracy i know some people do struggle with self-worth or believing that they're enough and sometimes that can come from maybe their parents maybe even school saying that they're not or not encouraging them to be their best selves do you ever notice any common themes god yeah loads of them um i think that you know often what you get is you know if if you've got a mother that's got low self-esteem or that's had depression you know in, in early pregnancy especially in the in early when they've Hang on. when they've given birth I think that what you end up with is that going on to the child and they don't really know why because actually they've had a really happy child and they don't realize why in the beginning of their life they didn't have the connection with their mother that they they did in later life wow and if there is a parent listening to this Tracy and they are worried about their child what can they do to reduce the impact their child could potentially have on them well i think by freeing yourself from the constraints of your own past you can offer children you know a spontaneous and connecting relationship that enables them to thrive and by deepening our ability to understand our own personal experiences i think we're better able to relate um empathically towards our children and to promote their self-development and healthy um yeah their healthy emotional well-being I think that, you know, I mean, you know, I, I thought I did a good enough job of parenting and I screwed my kids up. You know, I, 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 what I did was I give my kids a great work ethic, I thought. So what I said to him is I'm never going to give pocket money unless you do jobs. And so they did little jobs around the house and, and they got pocket money for that. And my, one of my sons definitely tried it on quite a bit and said, well, how much, how can I earn a hundred pound pocket money this week? And I said, well, you'd have to paint the whole house and weed the whole garden. And, and basically got it down to his usual five pounds for Hoover in his bedroom. But anyway, um, in doing that, I now have three children, a total workaholics, and I'm saying, oh, no, you know, like self-care, self-care. Um, but I promoted that because that seemed like a good way forward. So I think we all do things, don't we? I think we all, you know, we all kind of do things to our children that we don't necessarily mean to. And maybe we don't think of the long-term effects of the things that we teach our children. 
Is there anything that you see, Tracy, maybe other parents do, and this doesn't come with any judgment, that you think, oh, that kind of behaviour could then have this type of consequence? Well, I think being on the mobile phone all the time and not interacting with children, I see that quite a lot. And I see the children just staring into space. Um, you know, they're lacking connection with that parent, which really, I think, probably would look like um, the parent being depressed. You know, the parents not engaging with the child, not showing the child how to be, not showing the child they're interested in. You know, what would, you'd end up with children that are just standing there. They don't know what to do. They don't know how to engage their parent. They don't feel, I would imagine, they don't feel like they're that interested, engaging or loved. And I think the implications of that later will be immense. And when it comes to healing our inner child, do you see differences between how men and women heal, Tracy? No, um, I don't. I think that there's, you know, they're fairly similar, to be honest. They come into the room, you know, people often hate their child and don't realise they often don't like this child. And actually, when they actually are faced with a picture of their child and realise they're hating on a three-year-old or, or whatever the age, um, there's a similar there's a similar effect. I think that they both realise what's going on. I haven't found any difference, really. So would you say maybe one exercise, exercise we could do is find a photo of our younger selves and just maybe journal any emotions that come up when we see that. Absolutely. And I think that having a picture of your inner, your child up to be able to see the reality of this is actually a child that you're hating on, not an adult part of yourself, um, is really useful. I think having a picture of yourself as a child up and seeing the feelings you've got towards that child, you know, and if the feelings are so strong that you absolutely do hate on that child, then maybe it's an idea to take it to therapy and to have a look at that. And, you know, people often say, oh, I, you know, I hate that part of myself, so I'm going to push that part down. You know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to engage with it. I don't like it. But if, you know, if someone said to me they hated me or they didn't like me, number one, I'd probably feel, oh, my God, there's something wrong with me. Or I'd feel, well, I don't like them. You know, it's not going to produce a positive effect. You know, if I was to encourage that person, say, hang on, what do you think is going on here? Let's have a look at this. And that's kind of what you want to do. You're in a child. You want to encourage them. You want to talk to them. You want to help them to develop rather than push them aside because if you shove them down and you I mean they've got to go somewhere they've got to go somewhere those emotions have got to go somewhere you know I think it comes out in physical illness anxiety stress you know I think that what's happening in the world at the moment with the covid situation I think that we we have like a personal specialness and a personal specialness means it doesn't happen to me it happens to them people down the road you know you read about it, oh that's very sad but that's not me but now it's happening to all of us and so people's personal freshness has been fractured. So there's all the old fears coming up. And so people are quite often getting quite rigid. It has to be done this way. Or we've got the ones that go, oh, I'll just do it how I like. I don't care. You know? And then we've got the middle of the roads and the extremes are massive. And I think this is going to have a huge impact on um, our mental health and that of our children later on. I understand, Tracy. For anyone who had a pretty great childhood do you think that when it comes to their inner child and past experiences they don't have so much to dive into because they haven't had so much stuff to deal with or do you think maybe it doesn't matter if you've had a great upbringing or a terrible upbringing there will always be something to explore when it comes to your inner child 
Oh, you know what? It's a fascinating thing to do. I mean, it's just about learning to, you know, learning about yourself. Um, you know, even if we've had a great childhood, we could have self-limiting beliefs about ourselves. I believe we can do anything we want. If I'm, it's only our mind that stops us. Um, and I think that quite often people, um, no matter what their backgrounds, can have difficulties around boundaries. If boundaries isn't something we've really thought about, you know, we can have difficulties in saying no respecting our no understanding what a boundary is um being able to, and that's part of communication with other people so you know people come to therapy for all kinds of reasons i think there is the thought that people come because they're distressed or there's some kind of problem but not necessarily people might just come it's almost like the gym you know you go to the gym and you build your muscles up and you need to kind of go every now and again don't you to kind of keep that going and the, i think well, like the brain's very similar and one thing I do want to bring up, Tracy, that I found very interesting is I was actually watching a television show very recently and the character for a few episodes was having therapy and he had some, may consider them issues, he had severe anxiety, he was a perfectionist. However, that behaviour in the show has led him to be very very successful if you want to measure success by he was in this great job in this fantastic position he was a fantastic family man had the big house the car he seems to have it all and he said to his therapist look i know i have issues but i'm very happy to have them because this has been the result of them what would you say to anyone listening finding themselves in a similar situation I suppose the first thing I'd say to him is, why have you come to therapy then? What do you want out of this? You know, you're telling me that your life's fantastic, which is great, and you like it exactly as it is. But then, so why have you come? Why are you wasting your money? What if somebody had that feeling but wasn't attending therapy and thought, you know what, I don't want to deal with my anxiety because my anxiety has helped me become this successful, or I don't want to deal with my stubborn stubbornness or immaturity because it has led to this kind these kinds of results what would you say to them well I mean if it's working for you that's entirely up to you but you know just the fact that you've got this anxiety or you have got this stubbornness which is working for you could it work differently is it working for the people around you mm. are you you know yeah you're achieving in one area is there another achieve another area that you might want to achieve in um would it be helpful just to look at it you know, it sounds like you want to hold on to this, you know, desperately. You know, what would it be like to just have a look at it? Because you can still hold on to it. You can have therapy and go, well, I want to hold on to this. Mm -hmm. um, people often come to me and they say, you know, this isn't working for me. That's not working for me in this relationship. But I want to keep the relationship and don't damage the relationship. Well, mm -hmm. I mean, number one, I don't do that. It's up to them. If yeah. someone is listening to this and they are convinced that they are not aware of their inner child, how can they become more conscious of their inner child um well i think it's just about watching the way we behave and starting to understand ourselves and the patterns of relating um the first time i went to visit my inner child i wasn't sure if i had one and the first time i saw my inner child she didn't have a face and she wore a white dress and as a child i wore a white dress all the time and because that's what my mum wanted and my mum really wanted to give birth to a doll and so I didn't have an opportunity to build much of a sense of self because what I was was what she wanted me to be. 
which was perfectly lovely and everyone liked it. But inside I felt lonely and I didn't feel myself. I felt like I'd been really severely pruned. And the more I developed my inner child, she started to do the things that my mum would never have liked. And she became a ballerina. I mean, that was not something that I ever wanted to be. But she just pirouetted around me in a tutu. And she started to be happy. And the more she become happy, the more I become happy. Um, I think other people would have said, oh, Tracy's, you know, she's always got a smile on her face. She's always happy. But inside, I just felt lonely. I just didn't feel that happy inside. And I didn't even know why, because I had no reason not to. Everything else was great. So did you come across your inner child, Tracy, by sitting there and closing your eyes and trying to see her? Or was it through a different exercise? Um, it was it was actually for another therapist trying out um, a technique around meditation on me because I hadn't managed to find her myself at all. So it was another therapist. Actually, it was a therapist friend who said, can we do this little experiment? And I was just, I mean, I was blown away by finding her. Mm. Absolutely. And it makes sense that I couldn't find her previously on my own because I don't know. I think she was there and she was hiding and she was lost. You know, today, to do this interview, I've had to coax her to come along. She was, you know, she was scared. She felt, oh, God, if I put my head above the parapet and I don't know anything, I'm going to forget everything when I get in this interview. And yet, you know, my professional self says, Tracy, you've been doing this for years. You know this stuff. You know, so I've had to coax her today and bring her along with me. So if we are ever nervous, scared, maybe even heartbroken, could it be coming from our inner child then? expressing their worries concerns or heartbreak you know it could come from an inner child but it could just come from another part it could come from an inner part that came out at a different time so it doesn't necessarily have to be a very young part but it could be that there's a part that's got overwhelmed or got triggered because i think parts get triggered you know a similar experience um i was abandoned as a child at six and i Tons of work. I mean, I've done tons of therapy on myself and I was like, I am sorted. I am a therapist. I'm totally sorted. And I came home one night and my husband wasn't, there was no light on. He hadn't come in and he'd sent a message to say that he was on his way and the light wasn't on. And for a moment, the feeling that he'd left me and the feeling of abandonment was massive. And then I thought, what on earth are you doing? He's probably just had a late train. I mean, it was like 10 minutes late. And it was just such a, I mean, it was such a blow to me that that had happened. The devastating feelings I had within seconds. And that's when I realised I'd got in touch with that child part. I don't even know how it had got triggered, but it was just that light not being on. Now, if I hadn't have known that, I could have even gone with that feeling. You know, he could have come in, like, oh, I'm late, you know, whatever it was, because I'd gone with the feeling that I'd had from my six-year-old self, which actually had no relation to him or my adult self. And let's unpack that then. Let's talk about triggers. How can we identify our triggers, Tracy? The red flags that tell us that we need to look deeper. Well, maybe it's areas where we don't feel happy, areas that don't work for us. Maybe everything works and there's just one part that doesn't work. I think that, you know, we're a little bit like records. I think that we go along. That's for those people that know records because I know I'm very, very old. But you go and get the record and when you get to the scratch, you know, you used to go round and round and round. And, and I think we often do that in life. We get to this scratch. It may be a different scenario, but it's a similar kind of pattern, a similar kind of thing. And when we get to that, what we do with therapy is we build a little tiny therapeutic pathway, a little bridge over the scratch so that when we get 
the pattern up to the scratch we go over. Now, at times when we first start in therapy, we, you know, go down the scratch like I did. I went down the scratch, didn't I? You know, I saw the light wasn't on. First of all, he's he's done a runner. And then I thought, God, he wouldn't because he's so lucky to have me. But anyway, that's another fault. Um, (laughs) And... And, you know, but I managed to kind of get myself on the path of, hang on, that's hold stuff, this isn't what's happening now. So that's how my little therapeutic pathway started working. And at the moment, I don't feel that he's running off um, because I've got him tied up somewhere. No, that's not true. Um. <laughs> and speaking more about triggers, Tracy, what do you think maybe are some of the most common triggers that are listeners might be able to see for themselves i know a lot of adults who say they are codependent as grown-ups because of their childhood or they have a fear of some kind you mentioned fear of abandonment what are some of the most common triggers that we can start looking for well i mean melanie Peaty um said that a codependent lets another person's behavior affect him or her and is obsessed with controlling that person's behavior And I think it's looking at why we're in that kind of relationship and what's going on for us. So our personal responsibility within that. I think we will often look at other people and go, well, he does this to me and he does that. Actually, why am I here? Why am I, why am I putting up with this? Why do I feel that this is okay? Why can't I walk away? Why can't I change where I'm at in life? Why do I need to change other people? Because it's pretty impossible, isn't it? To change other people. I mean, then we're not going into a relationship. We're going into a project. Mm. What are some of the most common relationship triggers, do you think, Tracy, maybe that you've seen a lot of clients have to deal with? Well, I think not having one um, is a big one, especially, you know, people in their 30s that maybe want to settle down and have a family um, or people that want children. Um, You know, our biological clock is ticking away. Um, being fearing intimacy, not knowing how to do intimacy, not knowing how to get close to people, being in a relationship and not being able to commit, being overcommitted, wanting to change the other person rather than change ourselves, taking responsibility for our own actions, trying to blame others. Do you see any particular triggers that women tend to struggle with because I regularly talk about this with my girlfriends and quite a few of them will openly say that they struggle with people pleasing and they're aware that that's their inner child but it's something that they feel that every woman struggles with or seeking validation on a regular basis or looking for permission from somebody again something else linked to our inner child are there some that you just think of very, very feminine triggers, if you like, Tracy? Um, well, people pleasing and looking for validation, that's really about not being happy with yourself, isn't it? Not feeling that you're enough, looking for external um, validation rather than being able to be your own best friend and give yourself internal validation. And maybe it's to work on that, why they feel lacking. Mm. Um, I think that's particular to women. Oh, I don't know, not necessarily. Um, I think there's added pressure on women because there's, I mean, you know, the pressure of like, homeschooling recently, I think that's been a lot on women. I think, you know, women mostly have jobs and mostly do the housework. 
um, or the majority of housework, I think that probably is something that still goes on. I think that there are a lot of um, a lot of expectations from the past that maybe we would want to work on and look at. So for anyone maybe listening to this and they can be female or male, they're listening in and they're thinking, I really want to start exploring my inner child. What would be the first step that they should take? Um, find themselves a good therapist. Um, <laughs> um, there's a couple of good books that I can recommend. Um, Homecoming by John Bradshaw is a very good one. Um, the Recovery of the Inner Child by Luciana Capuchione, um, which is a workbook, which has got lots of um, good little things that, you know, tips on how to connect with your inner child. You know, maybe doing some of that. Um, you could always have one off therapy session with someone. I'm happy that someone um, sends me an email and has a free 15 minute phone call to kind of talk over whether they feel they've got something they want to bring to therapy or not. I think a lot of therapists would be open to that. And one in three people do experience anxiety. Do you think our upbringings mainly contribute to the level of anxiety we experience as adults? I mean, there's so many things that can happen in childhood. As I say, we're so vulnerable, aren't we? I mean, we're vulnerable to so many things that it wouldn't be unheard of that some of these things will come through and that we'll feel anxiety about them. You know, if our mum was anxious, if there's been divorce, you know, if we've been at school and we've been put under pressure of exams, whatever it is, I think that we're probably going to feel that anxiety. I think at the moment there's an anxiety, um, anxious vibe going on within the world. I think that, you know, the media is set up, that there's so much news coming at us all day long. A lot of it's doom and gloom. How can you not be anxious? So let's talk about that a little bit further then for everyone listening in, because the whole world is going through this. Everyone is experiencing anxiety, worry, concerns on all different kinds of levels. What is some very general advice, Tracy, that you can give us to stabilise our mental health? Okay, so I think one of the things that I would say is make a list. I love lists. Um, so I would make a list. Um, I quite like paper and pen lists because I think they're concrete. A list of the anxieties. And then I would make a separate list, which is, are they real or aren't they? Um, and the ones that aren't real aren't any other less worrying than the ones that are, I think, quite often. But I think spotting where we're going to go down a rabbit hole. So, you know, if I'm going to go down a rabbit hole, in my mind, there's things that I know that I can happen, that I can think about that will really spiral me. So what I try to do, and this is not easy, it's hard work, but I try to have control of my mind. I try not to allow myself to go down that rabbit hole. I try not to think of what could potentially happen in the future because I'm really wasting the here and now. People often say to me, oh, well, you know, I'm not going to shop for baby clothes. So I might lose the baby or I'm not going to, you know, think that this relationship's going to go somewhere because it might end. But what about if it doesn't and you've wasted all that time when things could be lovely? I think, you know, try to harness your mind for, you know, we often harness our mind for positivity because I think we worry an awful lot as human beings. But actually, we can harness our mind for positivity. You know, a little experiment you might want to do. If you want to shut your eyes, and just imagine a lemon, a lovely juicy lemon, and cut it in half, and cut it in half again. Just smell it and take a nice big bite. 
at that point we get saliva coming in our mouth we have a kind of oh that's how powerful our mind is and i think it's really just to kind of think what's going on with your own head it may be that actually the anxiety is so out of control you might need to talk to someone about it you might need some reassurance but i suppose what i would say is be kind to yourself you know if you're feeling this you're feeling it mm. you know how yeah. can you be nice and just say to yourself hang on what would you do to someone who's anxious i mean i'd hope you wouldn't say well shut up it's not you know that's that's not real i'd hope you would say something like you know well what can i do for you could i come along with you would you like me to hold your hand anxiety obviously often is a consequence and we see it appear in so many different triggers either consciously or subconsciously once we are aware of our emotional triggers and our red flags what maybe sets off our anxiety anger stubbornness fear what can we do to heal those past memories tracy because i know that it research has proven that when we think back to a traumatic memory our body actually responds in the same way as it did then and we are overcome by the same emotions so what can we do to heal those past memories or experiences i think to explore them in therapy to understand what the triggers are and why they are to understand what happened at the time we can quite often you know um with guided imagery go into wherever they had the anxious moment so say something happened in your childhood house in the bedroom and what we could do we could go in and we could take the child out of the situation take the child out of the house and put the child somewhere safe somewhere safe for the person's choice we could go in and talk to a child we could say actually we could re we could change the situation so this anxious terrible thing happens in the bedroom at home what would it be like if you escaped just before it happened how would it be if you had somebody with a superpower with you who could have punched the person who hurt you how would it be if someone could have put the fire out before it started so really to kind of try to go back and to change those situations and there's also a very good therapy um called emdr um which i think would be really useful in doing that can you explain what that means please tracy for our audience okay so emdr is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing it's a bit of a mouthful um and basically the thought is that you have a trauma during the day you go to sleep your eyes have REMs, so bilateral movements and it processes the trauma into the main memory but what quite often happens with trauma is it gets stuck outside the main memory producing a negative cognition a negative fault um and i don't know just say that one is i'm not safe you can very quickly with emdr change that negative fault into a positive one so if you imagine you've got all these memories that fuel a fire what we're going to do is go to the earliest memory and try to process that early memory and we do that with bilateral movements so it basically means that you go back to the trauma in your mind um, bearing in mind that memory is never reliable so we're going back um, and you're on a train and you're looking out at the trauma so what the therapist would do would be to keep you safe they would keep you safe so that you was viewing the trauma from a distance and with bilateral movements some people use movement of the hands movement of the eyes 
I use um, a tapping equipment, which is kind of like a buzzy thing that buzzes from hand to hand, doesn't give you an electric shock. Um, and what that does is it processes the memory. We are in agreement, Tracy, that memories aren't reliable. Sometimes we can go through something, we can remember it as children, how we interpreted it back then, but adults maybe who were in the room may remember it completely differently to how we did. So what would you say to anybody who is maybe a bit confused about their past memory? They're carrying around this trauma, they're going through the emotional triggers, they're struggling to connect their inner child, it's all linked to this one memory, yet it might just have been their own interpretation. Should they go and have uncomfortable conversations with the people who were in the room, with people who maybe experienced the same thing that they did, or do you have any other suggestions? Well, I think processing memories with family members doesn't always have the outcome that you might hope it might, um, especially if you've got differing memories. And you will have different, mem different memories. I mean, you know, for a child, monsters live under their bed. You know, that's not going to be for adults. So I think what I find quite useful is, you know, coming to therapy and talking to a therapist, talking your way through it, understanding what it's like from your perspective, you know, if you can't afford to do that, I would say to you, write a letter to the person, not to send. So make sure you don't press the send button, but write a letter to the person, say everything you want to say, read it back in a few days time, see what you feel about that. And then, you know, maybe at some point the opportunity to speak to this person may well come up and you'd have a kind of template for the way you wanted to go about that conversation. Maybe practice that conversation in a safe place with somebody, preferably a therapist, that it's not going to come back to bite you on the bottom at some point. Um, and then feel, you know, because I think it's not about processing it with the person, it's about processing it within yourself, mostly. Mm. Yeah, I do. Um, I do agree with that. And another question I want to ask Tracy is sometimes we do go through things, either traumatic or otherwise, that it's very clear that it was somebody else's fault or even for anyone listening who has been broken up with maybe and they're still devastated and they can't get closure because that person never apologized or in their current situation isn't apologizing what would you suggest to anyone who won't ever have closure when it comes to their past trauma memory or experience you know it's really hard when you don't have that it's really hard when you can't go to the other person and say what happened. But I suppose every person's version of the truth is different. So even if we went to that person, we might not get what we want from them. I, you know, if there's, if there's a road traffic accident and 30 people see it, they see it from the different positions within the road. They all see something different. And so even going to that person, we don't always get what we want from them. And I think it's really hard if you're left with a heartbreak. Um, I'm happy to talk about a personal heart. My dad went to work when I was six and he just didn't come back again. Um, so my mum was absolutely left with this devastating thing that my dad just, he just disappeared into thin air. And she waited for him. She waited for him for, I don't know, 60 odd years. And he didn't come back. Um, I got in touch with him when I was 15. I have a good enough relationship with him now. But he's never explained why he did that to me. Um, and we've never managed to have that conversation and it's really difficult. But what I do say is that, you know, it was heartbreaking to watch my mum because I lost my mum too at that point because my mum could never process what happened. She just sat yearning and waiting. 
Um, and all I could think of was when he comes back, I'm going to have loads of pocket money he owes me. But, um, you know, and that changed the whole of the way my life was. Um, and it being unprocessed was difficult, but I suppose I've had to make sense of it in my own mind. I've had to make sense of what happened and I've had to come to some kind of peace within me because otherwise it would have wrecked my life like it did hers. I mean, I just want to thank you for opening up and sharing, Tracy. And I'm very close to some of our listeners and I actually know a couple of young girls, I should say. They're not even women yet. They're teenagers and they are both going through something very similar so I just wanted to um, thank you for opening up about that because I know that's something that will help them. A question I'm often asked Tracy is because I'm a huge believer in forgiveness but there is a part of me that thinks like many people I have gone through hardship and traumatic times but I couldn't compare it to something incredibly devastating if you like both of my parents were there for my upbringing for instance I had a very happy childhood so a part of me does think well it might be easy for you to be so forgiving Scarlett because you've never had to truly truly forgive somebody on that very deep level now in my mind I have had a few situations where I've had to so for anyone listening who thinks oh no I couldn't possibly forgive that person who hurts me that much. How can they move on without that closure, that forgiveness? I think that it's a really difficult concept to forgive. I think that we can work on how we can accept what happened, but I don't necessarily think forgiving the person that did it. Um, and I think that, you know, hopefully coming to therapy helps you to create compassionate connections with yourself, family, friends. Um, and that's where the healing takes place. Mm -hmm. And I think some of what coming to therapy is about is really hating on that person for a while, really letting the anger out. So I think it's this big thing about, oh, you know, I have to be sorry. Actually, I want to be really flipping angry for a while and that's fine. Um, and, and I think coming to therapy and being able to be really angry and let it out may help you to heal in the end. I think that's really sound advice, especially hearing it as a woman, because a lot of the time growing up, we as women are encouraged, or I should say as girls, we are encouraged to be lovely and nice and to shrink ourselves more so than boys. Boys are the ones who I wouldn't say they're encouraged, but it's accepted that they can argue and they can start getting physical. It's a bit more. Yeah accepted whereas for girls it's no you shrink yourself and you have to be very lovely and very nice and very girlish so I think it's great to hear that actually if somebody has hurt you as a woman you are entitled to be angry and to not be considered hysterical because I think that's something that has been prevalent in our history for centuries this idea that when a woman expresses pure emotion or anger or anything similar to that she is considered hysterical or hormonal yeah absolutely um and i think it's you know i think it's it's quite difficult isn't it when you're 
um, in that situation to kind of say to me, hang on, I've got a reason, a reason to feel like this. And I think it's really important to say, this is the reason I feel like this, actually, because you've done this, you've done that. This is how this has played out. This has left me feeling like this. And that's why I feel like it and have a, a reason for it. But, you know, you come to therapy and you can just not have a reason, actually. You can just be angry. I mean, I don't think we have to justify ourselves for feeling angry for the way we've been treated. Mm. Um, you know, my own dad, you know, says things to me now. You know, I think women are the bane of his life and they've caused so many problems for him. It's hard, isn't it? But I think as women, yeah, we have to stand up for ourselves and probably we have to stand up for ourselves and be louder than men at times. And then you get accused of um, not being feminine and not being woman-like. Yeah, we could dive in to so much of our history and societal pressures, expectations, but even the patriarchal society for how it has set us up as women, which is very damaging and is having a huge impact on the current world. Now, I have very recently come across this work when it comes to the inner child, Tracy, and I've started diving deep into it and actually doing the work. Are there any other aspects of our lives where we should be diving deeper into? Well, should, would, I would say definitely. My, my, my whole kind of emphasis of life is on boundaries. I give boundary training to the NHS. I give boundary training to local council teams. I think it's really important to understand and value our own no. And I think it's really important to be congruent with ourselves. People often feel they can't say no and because it's bad and it'll upset people. And let's face it, if someone says no to me, I feel upset because I want them to say yes. But I can't say yes to everyone and I can't have yes said to me all the time. And it's how do we deal with that? And actually, if I say yes to someone when I want to say no, then actually I feel really resentful towards them, which actually isn't very kind. Mm. So I suppose I start working on our own personal boundaries. And um, I suppose I like to think of boundaries like a garden. You know, people often... I think we all have our own garden and people come to me to help them design their garden. Some come for me to do their gardening, but that's not my job. And I think we're often set up by our parents to garden their garden. Oh, come and mow our lawn. And I think our, our, our lawn, our grass, is the emotions that grow. And you know if you've got a lawn, you need to look after it. You need to take care of it. And you know that sometimes you have people that have chucked crap in your garden and then that causes more manure and the grass grows. And we've got people in our life that hang over our garden. They're like trees that hang over and they stop areas of our garden growing. How do we kind of sort out our borders? You know, if you've got a bit of land outside your home, a garden or whatever you've got, you know, if someone come along and decided to take a part of that, oh, I'm going to free foot of your garden or put a pot on your patio, you're going to say, hang on, what are you doing? But we don't necessarily notice when people are doing that within our lives. And I think understanding how we set our boundaries, what our boundaries are, what our bound, where our boundary walls are, and being able to convey that to other people, it lets people know where they stand, it lets we, us know where we stand. It also gives us a topic of communication and a way to communicate. Then I'm curious to know, Tracy, what is your favourite quote or the mantra you live by? Oh, um, probably do unto others as you want done unto yourself. <laughs> Treat other people the way you want to be treated. Yeah, I think that's a really strong one. Surprisingly, one that hasn't been mentioned on the podcast before. And I think it's timeless, really, isn't it? Just 
treat others how you would wish to be treated. Yeah, and remember, you know, you meet those people on the way back down. <laughs> yes, I think that's very solid advice. And then finally, Tracy, what books or podcasts would you recommend to our audience? Um, well, I like John Bradshaw's Homecoming. I think that's a really lovely book. I like all the For Dummy series because I think they've got all the information and they're really easy to read. Um, and let me have a think. There's a great book which is called Parenting from the Inside Out. How a deeper understanding can help you raise children who thrive. I love that. By Daniel Miguel. <laughs> Wow. Okay. Well, thank you so much for those recommendations there, Tracy. Thank you for having me on your podcast. It's been brilliant.